Our reading again comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 7, beginning at verse 13. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long into their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. The word of the Lord. On Tuesday of this past week, my entire family scheduled to get our flu shots at the same time. And we have four kids, so when we showed up at the clinic, the nurse looked at the schedule and she said, Oh, the DeGroote family, yes, yes, we, we saw that you were all coming at the same time, so we set up a separate exam room just for you. And I thought, that makes sense. I guess you know your family's big when they set up a separate room just for you. And so anyway, we went into this exam room and we all got our shots. The kids went in a row from youngest to oldest, each one of them was a trooper. And we got back into the van, and my wife, Alyssa, and I were strapping the younger ones in. And I said to all four of them, I said, you know, you guys were so well-behaved. I'm so proud of you, and you were so brave. Oh, of course, our oldest two, they're 11 and 9. They just kind of blew it off. They've been through shots, whatever. It's fine. Didn't hurt. The two-year-old, he basically forgot about it. He was just rolling around his car. But our three-year-old, Sophie, when she heard me say that she was brave... She just looked down in shame. And I looked at her and I said, what's wrong, Sophie? And Without looking at me, without making eye contact, she just kept looking down and she said, I'm not brave. And I said, sure you were. You were so brave in there, Sophie. And she just kept looking down. She said, no, I wasn't. I cried. No, I wasn't. I cried. My heart <laughs> dropped for Sophie. I took her, her little face in my hands and I, and I said, whoever told you that crying means that you're not brave? You know, daddy cries sometimes, mommy cries, your brothers cry. We're brave, you're brave too. And you could tell that she was listening to the words I was saying and trying to process them, but I'm not really sure that she believed me. And so we got into the car, we were driving away, and I just couldn't help but just keep wondering, where did she learn that? Like, where did she learn? Not that I don't understand the concept. If I cried when I got my flu shot, I probably wouldn't feel very brave either. But she's only three years old. She's only three years old, and, and somewhere along the line, her innocence has been taken away from her in one small area of her life because she does not think that brave girls cry. And the truth is, there are so many lies just like that one, that we all buy into, no matter what our age. Lies that, that bring us shame and guilt and make situations that are already inherently painful, like getting a flu shot, so much worse. And unfortunately, I'm afraid 
that we're living in a unique moment in time right now where almost every single person we know, ourselves very much included, are experiencing the same thing. We're buying into lies. Lies that are derailing us. Lies that are leaving us lonely. Lies that are dumping weight on top of what we are all by themselves experiencing, which are already painful days. And I felt this way as I uh, was on Facebook this week. Earlier this week, I, I posted a question, and I asked people to respond. It was this. I asked people to share one word to describe the world around us right now. One word to describe the world around us right now. And over 160 people responded between my post and my friend Larry Gaffey who shared it and then a bunch of his friend po- friends posted. And so I took all of the one word answers from all of those different people and I put them into a word cloud. So take a look. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. And if you're not familiar with how these things work, the computer displays every word that you submit to it. And if a word is repeated, the more it's repeated, the bigger and bolder it displays. These are all of the words, all of the answers to the question, what is one word to describe the world around us? And as I looked at those words coming through throughout that day, it's not that I didn't think that we were all struggling, right? I mean, I live in the same world as you do, but I was taken aback at just how discouraged people are. Just how discouraged the overwhelming majority of people are. Confused and sad and scared and frustrated and divided. There was, there was almost no hope at all in any of the responses. And so for the rest of the week, I just prayed, <laughs> I just prayed. I prayed for those of you who responded. I prayed for my own, uh, my own, my own feeling about this. You know, I would have thrown the word "stressed" into it. I think that'd be already be the one word I would use to describe the world around us. But I prayed over all of these, and I asked God, "Where in your word speaks to a time like this? Where where does your word speak to a time like we're living in right now?" And and I'm sure there's lots of examples, but one that came to my mind was the reading that we read just a minute ago today. It comes from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, and we studied it at St. John's just a little over two years ago, and it's not like other books in the Bible because it doesn't really resolve anything. It doesn't resolve anything. Rather, it's It's more of like a commentary of wisdom from Solomon, an ancient king who was also the son of King David. He was the king over Israel, and he was known for his wisdom. To this day, he's known for his wisdom. He's written it in the scriptures, and he had wisdom because he asked for it when he first became king. It was, it was on the night of his inauguration. God asked Solomon in 2 Chronicles 1-7. It says, ask for whatever you want me to give you. God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And I, I just, I love this story because think about it, right? Solomon could have asked for anything. For anything at all. He could have asked for for riches. He could have asked for protection from illness. He could have asked for military success. He could have asked for for a better quarterback for the Chicago Bears. I know that was a couple thousand years premature, but I kind of wish he did. But he didn't ask for any of those things. Instead, he asked for this. Look at 2 Chronicles uh, 1, verse 8. Solomon answered God, You have shown great kindness to David my father, And you've made me king in this place. 
Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon could have asked for anything. He could have asked for anything. God made it possible through his his father David to build this incredible nation of Israel, this nation at this moment in time that was so full of power and wealth and might and potential. And I think about it, and I, I think about how as American Christians, if you consider yourself a Christian, we've often either consciously or subconsciously throughout our history made our own connections between God's chosen nation of Israel and our own nation. Because we can say a lot of the same things today that Solomon said back then. God has definitely shown great kindness to us, just like he did to David. Also like David, we can look back at the many mistakes that are a very real part of our past as well as our present. Solomon would go on to build a temple that his father David wanted to build, but his father David couldn't build it because of his own sin. Teaches us that there's consequences to the mistakes that we make that go on well beyond our own generation. There's just so many connections that we can make to this as we look at the days we're living in right now, right? We're all struggling to try to understand all of this for ourselves and for our own people. For us, we're looking at things like racism, things like competing visions and values that come from different sides of the political spectrum. We're looking at at protests and riots, not to mention natural disasters like fires and hurricanes, a global pandemic, These are all things that are impacting all of us right now as we speak. No matter what your political affiliation, no matter what your background might look like, no matter whether you see yourself to blame for any of this at all, or you believe that you're just a victim, or maybe you don't even know what to believe in the midst of any of it, I suspect that's probably the case for much of us because that was the word that was most common in my question when I asked, how would you describe the world right now? It was the word confused. We're confused. And, and just a few weeks before one of the most divisive presidential elections that our nation has ever experienced, it seems pretty clear to me that we're all looking for someone to lead us to some kind of clarity. Somebody who is going to go and and fix the sins of the past, whatever it is you believe those to be, while making the most of our potential for the future. I mean, isn't that what the slogans of the the, the two major presidential candidates are? Isn't that really what they're saying? Just think about it. Make America great again, right? Or the other side, battle for the soul of the nation. Aren't they both getting at the same thing? I mean, we might disagree with what's wrong with our past, but, but there's a lot that we would agree about that we want for our future. And that might have been one of the most striking realizations that I had when I was looking at the responses on Facebook because I can't think of a time in my own lifetime where people on every end of every spectrum imaginable are equally confused, equally sad and unsure and worried and conflicted and frustrated. And I wonder if part of the reason for that is is that we all actually have a lot more in common than it feels like we have right now. The truth is that 
As great as America was and is, and I'm an American, I'm proud, I'm grateful to be a part of this country, but as great as it was and it is, it has not always been great for everyone. And the battle for the soul of our nation is going to take a lot more than any president can win back. And so I want to point all this out, and I point this out not as a politician, but as a pastor. I point this out as a pastor because I'm afraid that so many of you are doing the very same things that I'm catching myself doing too often. We're looking for hope in all the wrong places. We're looking for hope in all the wrong places. As unique as these times might be, what I see as I read God's word is that these things we're experiencing have been experienced before. That this is not the first time, that we are not the first nation to experience some of this. King Solomon experienced similar times, and he probably wanted similar things to what we want for our people as well. And God came to him in that moment, and he offered to give him anything he could ask for to take on the monumental task of leading his nation into the future. Now, if you were asked that question, what would you answer? If I was asked that question, I don't even know where I would begin. But I love it that we look at this and see that Solomon didn't ask for anything that I would probably ask for as a solution to the problems that we're facing right now. He only asked for one thing, wisdom. Wisdom. And so let's spend the rest of our time diving into what that is and how it helped him and how it might help up us as well. And I think the first thing we need to do is just figure out what is wisdom. And, and thankfully, God's word defines it. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Let me read that again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Wisdom is what would get Solomon through leading turbulent, uncertain times. Times with a broken past and great potential for the future. And the truth is, wisdom is going to be the same thing that's going to get you and I through the same situation that we're dealing with today, right now. Turbulent, uncertain times with a broken past and hope for the future. And so what is wisdom? Well, if I could break down the definition from what we just read in Proverbs, I would say it this way. Wisdom is a direction and a relationship. Wisdom is a direction and a relationship. Now let me break this down. What wisdom is not, is it's not a conclusion or a finish line. It's not a conclusion or a finish line. And I say that because I love conclusions and finish lines. And so many times my hope is in a conclusion or a finish line. Wisdom is not a conclusion. It's not a finish line. And I love those things. Like, do you know how many small projects that that we never finished around our house that we've kind of taken on over the last seven months and finished? You know why we do that? I know a lot of you do it too. Because while we can't control the world around us, darn it, I can control whether or not that wall gets painted on Saturday, right? See, we got to control something. We want to see some kind of finish line. We want to get to some resolution. It doesn't mean the finish lines aren't good. Finish lines are wonderful, but they're not wisdom. 
They're not the thing that's going to get us through. Wisdom is a direction and a relationship. The direction is the future, right? We can't live in the past, and this moment is this moment. The direction is the future. But what's more important than that is that it begins with God, It begins with God, that we're not alone as we enter into the unknown, that God is with us and that he is the beginning of everything, which brings us back to the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of wisdom that Solomon has written as he's experienced it for himself. Now, this is written after he's experienced living with wisdom, as he's lived with it as a king and as somebody who has ruled, as somebody who has seen wonderful days and terrible days, and he's looking back And he's writing all the things that he's learned about life. He's asking, how did wisdom play out in the good times and the bad? And this is what we read about in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, beginning at verse 13. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When the times are good, be happy. But when the times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Wisdom is a direction toward the future. It's not the definition of what the future is going to look like. Solomon says nobody knows, right? And so because you don't know what the future is going to bring, when the times are good, take advantage of it and rejoice. Be thankful. Soak it up. And he says when they're not good, don't forget that you're not traveling into the future alone. And then he continues, verse 15, he says, In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these things, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Throughout the book, Solomon refers to this this life as meaningless. And what he means by that is that without God, everything is meaningless. What does any of it matter? And and Jesus' own brother James says the same thing. He says in James 4.14, he says, Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We don't like to think about it, but it's true. It's true. And so without God, no matter how righteous or wicked any of us are, either way, this life is short and it will soon be over. And that caused me to reflect a little bit. I look back at my notes, and to my best estimate, I have either officiated or, or attended about 100 funerals over the last 10 years. I've been to services for people who, when we celebrated their life, made everybody who was present want to live a better life themselves just by the example of the person who passed away. I've also been at funerals of people who have made so many mistakes and have broken so many relationships that their life served as this kind of subtle warning to the people who were present that life is present, is precious, and the consequences are, of our mistakes are real. I've buried women and men who, who work hard their entire life, and yet when they passed away, they had very little to show for it. And then I've buried others who didn't seem to work very hard at all, and they had everything. It's the way the world works, and it's because of this that Solomon continues and says, Therefore, do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Now, wait a minute. I thought wisdom is good, right? Don't be over-wise. How can you be over-anything good? Over-righteous, what does that mean? Here's, Here's what it means. It's 
It's the lie that says that we have to become confident in everything. It's the lie that says we have to become confident in everything. My my three-year-old, Sophie, bought into that lie on Tuesday when she thought that to be brave meant not to cry. And I would call that overwise or over-righteous. It's the same thing. And for a moment, it destroyed her. It wasn't the pain of the shot. It was the pain of the shame that came after. And I think this is a big one for us today And it gets us every time that we think that we have to have everything figured out. And there's so much knowledge out there that it's confusing. But Solomon didn't just ask for knowledge. He asked for wisdom. Wisdom teaches us how to use the knowledge, how to understand the knowledge, how to discard the knowledge, and how to remember when we don't have all the knowledge to begin with. And so I look at the world around us and I think to myself, man... You're confused, so am I. We all are. If we looked at what's happening around us right now, I don't know if there would be any, any other logical response to the world but to be finite beings that look around and feel confused. And yet at the same time, we live in this, this moment in history where we've got information at our fingertips and we think to ourselves the lie that we should somehow be responsible to know everything about everything. And so I just want you to take a deep breath because that's not true. It's not true. You might not fully understand the history or the present as it, as it relates to things like racism. You might not fully be able to comprehend aerosol transmission of a virus or how your vote relates to the electoral college or a plethora of other things that matter right now in the world we're living in. The number one word that so many of you use to describe the world that we're living in right now is confused. It's no wonder I'm confused too. Solomon says that if you try to wrap your head around absolutely everything on the planet, it will destroy you. He had to lead people that were so numerous, he couldn't possibly have known everything about everything. And so he says, help me to have wisdom and knowledge. Give me wisdom to know that even if I don't know everything, that as I walk into the future, I'm not going there alone, but it begins with you, God. That's what Solomon says. And if we try to absorb all of it, it will destroy us. But the truth is, ignoring all of it will destroy us as well. Look at what it says in verse 17. Solomon says, Do not be over wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? And I see that happening to a lot of us as well. So many of us that that maybe is a coping mechanism, or I I don't know what it is, but but we just kind of throw caution to the wind over things that are true and that are real. And Solomon says that's very dangerous too. Verse 18, it's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom doesn't claim confidence that we don't have, but it also doesn't ignore things that are the truth. I mean, didn't Jesus himself say it in John 8, the truth sets us free? And isn't that what we all ultimately want and need to be set free? Wisdom sets us free. Wisdom sets you free to cry and be brave when you go in and get your flu shot. 
Wisdom sets us free to say, I don't understand something instead of allowing pride to hijack our limited perspective. Wisdom sets us free to own up to our own mistakes and our sins because Jesus said that he has paid the price to set us free from the eternal consequences of all of them in him. Wisdom sets us free. It sets us free to to have hope in a future, to be a part of it because God is in it with us. He is the beginning and he is also the end. And if you have wisdom, verse 19, Solomon says, wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. I wish I had a silver bullet answer for the things that we're confused about and facing that are stressing us out and causing us to be afraid in the midst of the world that we're living in, causing anxiety and a lack of hope. And I would be lying to you if I came in front of you with great confidence and gave you a a silver bullet answer because I don't think there is one. But I am thankful that God does know what the future holds and that he has given us every tool that we need to be able to walk into it together with him. It begins with him. He is the beginning of wisdom. And so the question is, how do we apply that today? How do we apply that as a people who are confused and tired and weary? Well, thankfully, Jesus taught the disciples how to apply it, and we're going to just listen to his words. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food or the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers in the field grow? They don't labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass in the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, even those of us who maybe don't take our our faith too seriously have probably heard these words of yours not to worry countless times before. But they're true. 
And they're true in a way that, that fully acknowledges the moment that we're living in. You're not ignoring it. You're not telling us to put our head in the sand. But you're reminding us that if we seek your kingdom and your righteousness, that you are the beginning, that you are the direction, and that it is in relationship with you that we step out into the world. And so, God, we acknowledge and we admit and we repent if we have suggested to ourselves or others that we have anything more than a limited understanding of the world around us and what you're up to right now. God, we come before you and we place our confusion at your feet. You are the one who is never confused. And we pray that you would enlighten us. Enlighten us with understanding. And and not understanding that comes from a place of pride or arrogance. There's so much of that in our world right now. But God, would you give us knowledge that comes from a place of truth? That we can discern with the gift that you gave Solomon and that you freely are able and willing to give us the gift of wisdom. Would you help us to to have an understanding of truth that sets us free from worry and then also sets us free to live a life that brings glory to your name in everything we do as we walk by faith. As we walk by faith into the future and help us to know that in that future that we will be okay, that you will be with us, and it's not because of anything we know or understand, but it's because everything begins and ends with you. And your promise is that you will be with us always, even until the end of the age. And so I pray, God, that I would cling to that truth, and I pray that that truth would be clung to by each and every person here who's praying. God, that our lives might exhibit and and show to the world the kind of example of peace in the midst of any and every circumstance. God, I know you're teaching us to lean on you right now. May it be so for us. Help us to know that we're not alone. It is in your name we pray.